Welcome back to episode 18 of the Service Design Podcast. This is another episode which we recorded live at an arena event. We talked to the three very interesting speakers, Thomas Marx, Geri Smits, and Kuhn Fingerhut, who all practice blockchain from a very different perspective. What did you think, Stina, of the evening? I think it was very interesting because everything I heard before about blockchain was very technical and to be honest, I didn't really understand what it was about. And during this evening, I really heard some inspiring stories on how they implemented some ideas already and actually helped people in great projects. So I think that was very eye-opening to see. And I also got some insights on how we as service designers actually can mean something in the evolution of this uh, technology. So I think we can play a very important role there. And that's why I thought the, in, the evening was quite interesting for us as designers as well. Mm. I think that's also mirrored in the audience when I spoke to them. There were a lot of people who showed up to the event. That was good to see. Uh, it clearly is a hot topic and uh, it attracted many people that we hadn't seen before at an arena event. But also a lot of people pointed out they thought it was interesting that we looked at blockchain from a more uh, human perspective and not just a technological perspective. Yeah, I think that's also one of the biggest challenges this technology is facing now. Uh, we often have clients and they come to us and they ask, we want to do something with blockchain. And then we found it's uh, sometimes difficult, like, what do you want to do? So we always try to uh, dig deeper, like what the problems are that they as an organization have, or what kind of problems the users have. So I think the combination of these two is really crucial to making this technology a success and we're still finding ways uh, on how to do that. But uh, I think that will be the most crucial thing in making this technology successful. Mm. Yeah, because if you look at, yeah, for instance, the talk of, of Gary Smits, he talked a lot about blockchain making it possible to take out many middlemen. If he talked about a, a process where maybe something is produced and then it is uh, brought to a shop and then in the shop it's sold to you and many, many more steps in between. Blockchain can take a lot of these steps away and you can really have true peer-to-peer -peer transactions. But yeah, taking middlemen away, that affects jobs, that affects people. It's important to think about these things and consider the people. Yeah, and also what I was wondering is, Everyone always thinks, oh, peer-to-peer -peer is so much better. But I also believe that sometimes the middlemen are important. For example, government, they have to do some things and some businesses to make it successful. And we can expect from people to do more themselves and to trade between themselves. But I also think that then we might create a certain group of people that get excluded because you, of course, have to know how to do all these things unless there's, of course, very good design. But we also know that that's not always uh, the case. So I'm very curious where this will actually go, if it will really impact business and make it more democratic or if it would also uh, maybe create bigger gaps between people. Yeah, I think the both are possible. And I think it's uh, a matter of yeah, the people designing these systems to take into consideration how they want them to become. And I think especially blockchain is a technology where as designers, we have a huge responsibility to think about where these solutions will go. I think blockchain is a technology that can be used for really great good, where people are empowered, where 
processes are decentralized, but at the same time, it can also be a tool to have complete control <laughs> over processes. So it's something that, yeah, it can go both directions, but it depends on the people designing and developing them. Yeah, that's true. Uh, another question that someone asked was, Actually, if you think about these peer-to-peer -peer models, it also means a lot of organizations are not necessary anymore. And often these organizations even come to us to ask, what should we do with blockchain? Because we want to make sure uh, we are part of this evolution, because of course, they also feel like there might be an opportunity that they will be left out in the future. And one remark that was said there, I thought was very interesting, is that companies that are successful, they always have to change and they always have to evolve into new business models. And that will be the success of the companies that will be able to do something with blockchain and not just be the middleman, but also create some value for their users. And of course, there's also a lot of design in these processes. So I think we can, uh, together with organizations, really look at these business models and make sure that they find some value for users and change their organization and the jobs people have within the organization. Hmm. Something that was uh, talked about a lot as well was uh, collaboration. One point was made, uh, yeah, you can't have a blockchain without collaboration. If you have your own blockchain and no partners in this, yeah, it could have just as well been uh, your own database in your own basement. What do you notice about collaboration? Yeah, that's why I think service design is, uh, is interesting because it's often, it is collaboration between organizations or companies that you might not expect that they would collaborate. And it's not that easy to collaborate and to make some uh, agreements with each other, like how you will collaborate. And I think a uh, co-creation uh, process is really useful. And in this case that we bring together uh, organizations and together with them, we see how they can collaborate and also advance from each other and make sure that they together create something even better that they could do by themselves. And there, the role of a service designer can be very impactful, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking now of one of the projects that uh, Thomas uh, talked about, a project that we're also involved with as designers. So this is a project in which yeah, diplomas, competencies that you get in education, they are stored in a blockchain. But also in this project, I think it was interesting, it was different partners working in that. So on one hand, there was... Uh, the uh, an educational institution and on the other hand a government institution involved with yeah, helping uh, people find uh, work and what yeah we see there is it's really has a lot of potential when this government agency helping people to find work can help people find a job based on not only the final diploma they got, but by actually being able to see all the individual competencies that they got at a school. So even when a kid goes out of high school before he has his diploma, he still learned a lot. And with this platform, they can keep track of all those competencies that he got, but they can also be transferred to another institution. And I think that was a very powerful example showing how collaboration can make a big difference. Yeah, indeed. And what I also found interesting about this diploma 
case is that if you think about nowadays, people are moving a lot across uh, countries and often who carries their diploma. It's still like this paper that you have to bring with you if you have to uh, show a company that you actually completed a course or completed a study somewhere. And if you think about it, that's really old fashioned and it's really strange that it's still like like this, that you cannot have an official document online and just show to people, hey, I have a diploma in this. And if you look at the people who are now, for example, in war zone and they have to move to other countries, they can never prove what they learned and they can never show people like what skills they have or what knowledge they have. I think there the blockchain could also play a really important role next to the different competences people are getting in a study. I think that's also mm -hmm. an important uh, yeah aspect when kun was giving his talk so kun uh, works for a bank i noticed there was quite some criticism from the audience how do you feel about that yeah i think there is this there's always this negative idea about banks and banks are robbing people and why should they get involved and actually if there is a blockchain we don't even need those banks anymore but then of course that's just a very uh, pessimistic and also a very one-side uh, story. I believe banks are doing really good uh, stuff as well. And I think it is really interesting that they are busy with blockchain. And what Kuhn said is that if you think of a bank as an institution that is only exchanging money between people, of course, then you could say blockchain could replace that. But there is so much more stuff that they're doing. So it could be really interesting for them to get into that as well. Mm -hmm. Definitely is a topic that gets uh, people passionate and gets people wanting to speak up about it. So uh, I think it was very interesting that uh, Kuhn was there to talk from his point of view. Mm -hmm. And still one of the things that I learned during this evening is really the need of the human side in this whole technology evolution. You have a lot of people... Uh, talking about very complex uh, terminology that like 99% people uh, in the room don't even uh, know what it means. But actually what the goal should be is just to create something better for people, uh, together with people. And now at this moment, it's still mainly very technical people who are involved in this uh, evolution. So that's why we also, uh, at Night Moves, uh, we are a design agency. So we thought we really can play an important role in this. So we decided to look, look into this and see how we could help uh, companies to define what they should do. But I think David can tell a little bit more about that because he was uh, involved in designing uh, a toolkit uh, so, to help those companies. Yeah, that's right. So, of course, I, I think uh, many agencies will find uh, that companies come to them and say, blockchain, we want to do something with this, but we don't know what. And we really want to be able to help companies find those areas in their business where blockchain really makes sense and really can make a difference for people. So we designed a set of, of exercises that, that uncover yeah, these business processes on one hand where yeah, blockchain can really make a, an efficiency or financial decision, but also those processes where you can really make a difference for people. And uh, with this uh, blockchain method, yeah, we can help 
uncover these useful topics to ideate about, to think of new solutions with blockchain. Uh, and we were really happy to share this toolkit at the event. I'll make sure we add a link uh, to the show notes where you can uh, download the toolkit and you can uh, make use of this yourself free of charge. Yes, and what I think is really good about this toolkit that it puts the user or the people first. So if you would organize a workshop with this, uh, you would really see that we want you to start thinking of what value it can add from a people perspective. And we hope that uh, some people will uh, start using it. And uh, also, if you would use it, please feel free to uh, give us some uh, feedback on it because we will constantly uh, improve this toolkit. Indeed. So we, uh, we're going to let you listen to the interview we had with uh, Thomas, Geri and Kuhn. And uh, we are interested in hearing all your thoughts about blockchain, what it can mean for services. Is it important for us as service designers to uh, embrace this technology or not? Reach out and uh, enjoy this episode. Enjoy. Thanks again, guys, for these very diverse and very interesting talks. Um, for me, I learned a lot of new examples, new use cases for blockchain. Um, and uh, welcome to our little podcast. We'll be answering questions from the audience uh, in a bit. But first of all, uh, we'll have a few questions ourselves. Um, Stina, maybe you'd like to kick it off? Yes, thank you. Um, I thought the uh, uh, model you showed with the B2B to B to B to B to C was very interesting uh, to see because uh, <laughs> that was not prepared, that joke. <laughs> because <laughs> it's actually something I think everyone realizes and not everyone knows how to uh, deal with this. And we also realize that a lot of those uh, companies that are in the B2B2B uh, are also our clients. So we're trying to do good work for them, good work for their customers, which I think we, uh, the companies succeed in. But of course, they also feel a big challenge now. Like, what should they do? What, what can they change? And what should they do with blockchain? Because of course, they want to still deliver good things to their customers. And that's why they come with questions. We want to do something with blockchain. Do you have an answer, like what uh, the strategy of those companies uh, should be, Thomas? Sure. <laughs> um, I think they should investigate in what the possibilities and opportunities blockchain te technology can offer. Uh, because keep in mind, businesses do evolve through time. There's a, for those who want to uh, look up some economical theory, David Schumpeter talks about creative destructions in the sense that electricity made sure that we had electric lights in the street and the gas lanterns were no longer being lit and, uh, how do you say that, Dover killed every every day by, by, by people. So they lost their jobs. It will be the same. I think a lot of those intermediaries will have to extinguish. Thank you. A lot of intermediaries will have to shift their focus and shift their business model. But it doesn't mean that all of them will completely uh, lose lose business. 
if they keep thinking that I, my business model is just the fact that I'm standing in the middle and they well don't want to evolve, well, I think those are the the birds for the cat, as we say in Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> I I um I I. I I think it starts with sort of informing yourself about what the bloody hell this thing is, or at least dig few deeper and try to find new approaches to it. And then what I try to do with businesses is at least try to sort through some design processes. Also, I like your canvas as well. I'm, I'm doing something similar, but try to look at what, what, what problem you solve for clients, the design thinking way, what challenges you have from a business point of view and what technology actually, what's so special about blockchain? What are sort of the weird parameters that are different from any other technology and find that sweet spot in the middle through prototype, through ideation, through whatever, whatever, until you see, you know, and the whole idea of quick prototyping, of course, needs to be done in order to figure out where you were wrong because it will be wrong a lot of times i would imagine i agree that uh, experimenting is the way to go um when i talk to my colleagues i often mention that if they have a problem and they think another database will solve it they probably need to see a psy psychiatrist or something like that or shrink um databases don't solve problems uh people do and what we learned by actually building stuff, by rethinking the business, is that usually the problem they see cannot be solved, but can be completely avoided using a blockchain. So the point is that you really, you really should try to think, what are we actually doing? And what would happen if there would be this unique layer of trust underneath? How could we change our business? Which other parties do we involve? How can we still make business if this exists? And then you get an old, older... Uh, way of speaking to each other. You get birds and cats and everything else. <laughs> I've been trying to do something. I haven't been able to do it much, but something called value mapping about who adds value at what, what point in, in the process and then figure it out in that way and look at how blockchain can then replace it, add to it, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I'm hoping that might be a bit more tangible to figure out what to do. But I haven't tested it many times yet. Um, Kun, you talked about uh, collaboration being an essential ingredient of a blockchain project. How how do you go about creating successful collaboration? Talk, <laughs> <laughs> just talk quite a lot with other uh, with other parties, and um, yeah, it just requires time. Usually, we all have a benefit to collaborate. It just takes time to realize the benefit and to give up the old ways of thinking, of protecting our own realm, of uh, sitting on our turf and hoping nobody else will come there, of thinking this is our business. If you touch it, we will die. If we'll leave it like that, we will die too. So it's uh, just go forth, think about the future, create a great vision and, uh, and go there. And for you two, do you see collaboration as an essential ingredient? Yeah, definitely. Otherwise, you have, uh, well, I think I could mention to her some of the experiments that KBC has done. Well, I call that the blockchain in the basement story. You don't prove anything, really, if you don't collaborate with people. If you say, yeah, it's correct because it's on my own blockchain, well, yeah, then you can even say it's on my own database. There's no difference. The fact that the other party can check and validate that these things, these transactions, these facts happened... That makes it powerful. Otherwise, it's still trust. I think that collaboration is crucial on two levels. One is that um, it is a technology. The business is getting involved with it, but we have no clue 
what impact it has on sociology, uh, on legal. We're getting a bit of an idea. Uh, they're sort of trying to catch up, but there's a lot of industries quite often from the softer elements that have no idea what's going on. And I think to get a full picture of the potential of it, we need to get these industries involved. Um, that's one thing. So collaboration on that from all fields of the business or from, from the specter of academics, et cetera, et cetera, I think is crucial. Second point is that, again, that... I, I really uh, struck the idea struck with me that you said we've got competition agreements between or non-competition agreements as banks, but not collaboration agreements. That's just insane in a way. Uh, and it's again that can blockchain the idea of a common incentive again restructure the way that we collaborate on certain things. There's a there's quite a, an intriguing project called Colony. Uh, it's again a fluffy one, right? A conceptual one. But they're trying to reimagine the way that we work together. And can you rally people around project coins, for instance, like that? And how can you remunerate people in that way? And funny thing was, like in 2000 and must have been nine or something. I did some. Uh, I worked on a similar project, like for the creative industries. How can you validate input into a creative process? Obviously, failed completely because it was totally not. Uh, nobody was ready for it, and also it's really hard to measure. So with these kind of things, they're trying to again find the coin structure very loosely to see if you can find new ways of collaborating around that. And I, I think that's pretty exciting. Perhaps if I can ask, uh, add one one thing. Uh, one of the the big uh, economical thinkers who fueled a lot of those uh, early developers with blockchain technology was Ludwig von Mises, and his main work actually is called Human Action. It's about economics, but the earlier title was Social Collaboration, in the sense that economics is just people working together. So why wouldn't that be the start of everything? I seem to agree all of a sudden. That's scary. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wait until the questions are there. Um, well, you hear a lot about peer-to-peer -peer, uh, platforms and the huge potential in that. And uh, we can get rid of all the parties that uh, ask for a lot of money and are corrupt. And they uh, So it would be a lot better for users. But I really wonder if that would be the case because a worry I would have there as well is that, for example, with the example you showed uh, with the soul energy um, even though we're opening up the market for everyone will it not create more uh, inequality because some people will uh, advance a lot but also a lot of people in society might not uh, have the ability to participate or the knowledge to do so yeah absolutely i think that's one of those key questions where economical models are and there yet to see whether that will work or not. Um, but what keep, I'm a hopeful guy, right? Call me naive. Uh, but what, what struck me was with the Swarm City story, the idea behind sort of the, the, the taxi service on blockchain was this was started as a bottom-up movement. This wasn't started as a technology project. This was started by taxi drivers in America who got pissed off at government for kicking out Uber and Lyft and all these companies that were, didn't agree to regulation. Now, whatever you think of that, but it, it did start from people saying, hold on, we had a we were making a living out of this. And this, these were not advanced people or, or these are normal people trying to make a living. And so there is something there where these grassroots movements, all of it, they were doing their, they were trying to replace Uber with Facebook groups. Now, as a technology, that's not particularly advanced. That's sort of the worst thing that Facebook ever made. Um, and still they, they were, they were gunning for it. They were trying it. Until they, or some people of them discovered blockchain, they say, well, maybe we could do this in a better way. And that gives me hope. I'm not claiming that it will fix in inequality. It just gives me hope. 
One uh, somewhat silly question before we uh, get into the questions of the audience. Um, I'm wondering, do you suffer from Tetris syndrome? Like if you play lots of Tetris, you see blocks all around you and how they fit into each other. Uh, is this something like today? Have you seen blockchain opportunities on your way to work? Definitely. And also the tune gets stuck in your head. <laughs> so, uh, no, I, I think that's definitely something that you have. Uh, we try to guard around it by taking every time we start with a new project, a new prototype, the first question is, is it a good use case? Because will it add some value? And I think, uh, well, if I speak for myself and I speak for the, my, my colleagues at the ledger, it, it's very important to choose the, the right use cases. And what are they? Well, mostly if, if it means you have multiple parties and you can't solve it other than creating a new central party, then perhaps blockchain might be a solution. Uh, because if you would start, if, if you would have the incentive to do as many projects in blockchain as possible just to, to make an income, I think we would be able to, we might kill the idea that is still very fragile and that, that, that nobody would say, oh, yeah, you can use blockchain not for those things, for not, not, nothing at all. I think if you see, for example, in the in the crypto sphere, uh, sorry that I'm pointing at you, but you talk a lot about the cryptos, is you see all these ICOs, etc., and a lot of the cowboy, co uh, cowboy uh, stories that are out there. I think they, they are killing a lot of the enthusiasm, and also killing a lot of the trust that or the possibility and opportunity blockchain technology can can create. So we're, quite, we're, we're trying to be our own critic. At the workshop earlier today uh, in asset management, entire afternoon, um, we're looking for blockchain IDs all over the place. They are indeed everywhere. It's uh, quite a difficult thing, actually, not to find one, but to select a case that is not a mosquito problem. Uh, mosquito problem, uh, I, take, I took that from uh, Omar Mohout. He describes it as a small problem everybody knows. And it does hurt from time to time, but it's not really a big issue. One of our colleagues had the idea to put, for example, a token on a, on a bread machine, a bread vending machine that you don't have to pay there, but that you can just do, use your smartphone and then you get your bread. Like, yeah, but if you use your bank card or just a coin, you can get your bread too. So what is the issue there? It would be easier on a blockchain, maybe, but how much easier? That's not really a, a case, but on the other side, it might be the future. If all money is put on a blockchain, then you don't need your wallet anymore. And maybe it will just check your identity and payment will be there. So at the moment, we're stuck in a lot of small use cases and we're looking for huge cases. But we also learned that we start small and then we do something entirely different. And then it's another use case and it's valid and you just keep looking better everywhere. All right, then uh, we'll be opening up the floor for questions. Um, the microphone won't reach quite to the back, so I'm going to ask people to move up a little bit closer if they want to ask a question, see how far we get. Yes, you can come close. Um, who has a question? Yeah, oh, let's start up close. Uh, if you're willing, please uh, come stand over here. And, uh... Hello, my name is Stefan, and I would like just to know how we're going to manage regulations and government tomorrow that's my only questions tomorrow or the day after um maybe, tomorrow yeah. it will still still be the same <laughs> i don't like the film day to the day after tomorrow there are uh, there are companies at the moment building systems for voting uh, like the belgian company settlement um i think you built stuff too for balloting uh, you showed the case so for voting and stuff um, i know settlement also built something for saudi arabia to um really 
facilitate the decision-making system. So they've just like in Belgium, a lot of parties who have to decide upon the rules and they will just sign on the blockchain and then everybody can read what has been decided and it can't be changed afterwards anymore. But that's just part of the government, of course, how everything else will happen. I don't know. I don't know if blockchain, if blockchain will solve everything. It won't open your beer, for example. But you're also talking about regulation, about what government's going to do about yes, it, right? Yes, regulation. Yeah. Yeah. They have no idea where they're standing on this. Yes, which is I not know. true. It, in Belgium, they have a small clue. Yeah. But we have neighboring countries like France, where the law was changed to allow microbonds on a blockchain. The best papers about blockchain are written in the UK, yeah, um, pretty good. where the government really writes excellent stuff. In Canada, there is casual ledger. Uh, in, in Russia, even, there is casual ledger with the ruble coin. So um, we're lagging behind slightly in Belgium, but we're catching up quickly because everywhere where the guys from the government and the regulator come, all they hear is blockchain. Everywhere they go, it's all about blockchain. I was in the Flemish parliament this, this morning, this afternoon, talking about it. And you saw a lot of the slightly older guys going, no, 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 we need to control that. And you saw a lot of the younger guys going, hold on a minute there's some opportunities there because when i say they haven't got a clue i'm, I'm sort of pulling everybody's leg because yes they they are thinking about regulating taxes on on bitcoin profits etc etc they're taking a stance on that but they they what, what worries me a little bit is that do they realize a sort of different levels on that they'll understand they're talking to kbc they'll know very well how to deal with that in, in, in an existing one i talked to to some lawyer about it a while ago and they said yeah he sees law as a, as a lasagna and you've got sort of common law and then you've got industry-specific law and then you've got sort of digital law that, that is European-controlled and privacy and GDPR and whatever, whatever. And he says, you know, then we'll find ways of dealing with the blockchain law in the, in the third layer. And I, I, I hope he's right, but I fear that we should start on the bottom layer of the lasagna again if, in order for us to explore the full potential of blockchain. Huh? And I'm not sure if, 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 if Belgium governments, maybe other governments if they fully understand that and if they realize that if you look at what blockchain could do is allowing people to exchange value in a free and open way, that's what they do. <laughs> and if they understand that, I'm not, whether they see it as a threat or as an opportunity, that's open for discussion. But I see a lot of scope there for talking the discussion on different levels tomorrow. Does that make sense? Uh, no. <laughs> I have just one question about... Uh, you were speaking about the POC, the, the POC project, the proof of concept, saying that you have no idea about the technology, no idea, what, and no idea about re regulations. Also, well, we of course have contact with the regulator, and their usual answer is which one? With the national bank, with FMA, okay. uh, with F, with uh, with the ECB, with every regulator that is imaginable, um, and in Belgium, the reaction at the moment is you have your code of law, read it, it's all in there. We're like, we're not sure. Okay. It, it's all in there indeed, but we don't know how it applies to a blockchain. So we would like a regulatory sandbox to test. And we're talking about that at the moment to figure out how it will work because we just don't know neither. But as long as we do nothing wrong, we'll go forward. You have answers my question. Thank you. So, hi guys. Um, I have a question about a slide that... Um, what was your name, the fluffy guy? <laughs> Call me Fluffy, man. Okay. So a slide Get that the fluffy man uh, has not shown, but I saw it uh, for one second. Um, and that is about the project Omizigo. 
And I know it's a project, uh, a token run on top of the Ethereum blockchain. And their slogan is called um, Unbank the Banked. And I was wondering uh, for, for for you guys and, and for Kuhn. Um, uh, it's Gary, by the way. This, name, this project, it's... It's Gary. Gary. Fluffy for Gary. For me, um this project, the goal actually is um, that that everybody um, can use a blockchain to 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 pay, but not only to pay, to use uh, tokens of all kinds to uh, to to share assets. For instance, you can use uh, you can use the the blockchain to 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 uh, you can use your mobile app to scan a, a QR code in a magazine uh, to buy something, which will be delivered to your home. Uh, you can use it for licensing uh, an Adobe uh, application. You can, and the the project says. Um, let's uh, share all of those currencies uh, on one blockchain. Um, but I'm wondering about the slogan, uh, Unbank the Banked. How do you see that uh, in the future for yeah, banks like KBC? What is their uh, potential value within those kinds of uh, businesses if this comes out? In, in, in these kind of businesses like the Omisego kind of projects. Yes, if s such a project would uh, become big, what, what, what could be the value of, of, of a bank uh, at all? You know, I skipped the slide for a reason. Because <laughs> I felt like, hmm, I'm going to skip it for a minute. Because it's a very, you know, you couldn't touch upon it, like how you're going to unbank people to try to get into the system. And uh, you still, yeah. now, if there are a bunch of different coins and people still will start uh, gaining taxi coins or whatever for adding value, then that might be a way of managing them and exchanging them across uh blockchain platforms like zero X is a similar thing where they're trying to find a way of, uh, uh, of swapping shitcoin for titcoin or whatever, whatever f people feel comfortable with, with losing or gaining. So in that sense that if, if people find a way to get into these economies and I, and I hear that it's, it might not be necessarily simple for unbanked people, but I think it has a higher chance of getting into these economies without a traditional banking system. Even in the UK, I was told there's about 1.6 million people that can't get a bank account. It's not even, you know, that's that's close to home. Uh, I don't know how, how much that would be in Belgium. Um, so there is opportunity there for people to get into these kind of, call them niche economies, and then get them onto a system where they could start trading these coins. Will that will that kill the banks? I'm not, a, I'm not such a drama queen in that sense, I think for quite a while they will run quite centrally or parallel for quite a while and I think time will tell how they will pan out, I'm not sure. Well, the problem with a cash on ledger or any token on the ledger is not to create it, it's to get it off the ledger because as long as you can't use it everywhere, you're stuck with your shitcoin, if I can use the word, or any coin you have. Because only the people who trust your coin will actually accept it. And then they are stuck with it unless everybody accepts it. And that's a big issue there. If I make a coin here and I call it a Kuhn coin and I give it to you, and I tell you it's worth 1 million euro, you can be very happy. But nobody will give you something for it unless... Who was the guy with the business card? <laughs> yeah, he'll, he'll <laughs> give, he'll give he stuff for anything. He still needs to give but me 10 euros. So. Is, Kuhn, what do you, can I ask a question? What yeah. do you think about sort of 10x 
projects, you know, where they, I've got my credit card the other day, a 10X credit card, which runs on the Visa MasterCard network, which where I can pay with Bitcoin in real time for in the in the supermarket. And on which network does it run? On the Visa and the MasterCard Thank networks you. for now. Yeah. But how do you see that working with these coins being exchanged for real value? There's always a connection with the real world, absolutely. Yeah. And which network did it run? Yeah, Visa MasterCard network. But that's not the bank network, right? But they made a connection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, where, that's where it gets stuck. As long as you don't have a currency which is, which is accepted everywhere, you're stuck with your coin. So um, at the moment, if you look up utility settlement coin, you will see that banks are looking at cash on ledger. And uh, the issue is to get the cash of ledger. So we're talking with other parties to make sure it, it's possible because that will make payments way easier and frictionless. Not in Europe, that's just bank policy. Uh, when you order something at ball.com, your parcel will be here before the payment will arrive in the Netherlands. That's bank policy. Swift will do it in 0.1 seconds. We will hold it one day. The other bank will hold it one day to make profit. If we do it on a blockchain, it could be faster if we change the policy. Thanks. I wish I was fluffy too. <laughs> <laughs> the world is much more beautiful through my eyes. <laughs> Um, my question is already kind of answered before, but I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. What would be the exact added value of a private blockchain by K uh, KBC, for example? What, why would we use the private blockchain powered by a group of banks while blockchain essentially can replace the banks? If you, um, if you think a bank does nothing more than shift the coin from A to B, you're right. But we also give loans. Uh, we help the government. We, give, um, we have your shares. We do a lot more than just shifting a coin. Um, furthermore, the blockchain, the private permission blockchain will not be by KBC. As Thomas mentioned, we don't want to build it in our basement because then we would make it more efficient on just one database instead of installing three Ethereum nodes. And most likely you won't even know there will be blockchain technology behind it. We won't. I, I assume that no customer will come to us because we use a blockchain. Nobody cares about the blockchain. You care about real problems like I want to buy something. And if you can't, if you don't have enough money, then you think ah, I need a loan. And then maybe you need an insurance. We're not in the first spot if you look at it from a human point of view. So we won't attract customers with blockchain. It, it will be there. It will be used and you won't see it. It's also it be the, private and permission, sorry, to keep it secure. Yeah, indeed, insurance is something basic blockchain cannot offer, but how do the group of banks within the KBC blockchain, for example, ensure trust? How, where does the trust come? Where, who, verifi who verifies trust? Um, where's your money now at a bank? So you still trust us more or less, huh? Maybe more in crypto, I don't okay. know. <laughs> but you still trust us at least a tiny bit. So um, we collaborate with other banks and not with any bank. We collaborate with banks we trust enough. Uh, we will have contracts like we used to have with a wet signature to pin down liability between the banks. And we also use consensus mechanisms. It's not like we can all do whatever on the blockchain, but we don't use proof of work like the Bitcoin blockchain. We probably won't use proof of stake. We might just use round robin. Anything will do. Proof of elapsed time, that will work too. So it's always the banks themselves that will verify trust. At the moment, the projects we build, the blockchain is behind our firewall. Indeed, everything will run between the banks. And as a customer, you will have an API, an interface, which you can use to do the things you need to do. But you won't be looking at our blockchain. No. 
please keep in mind that blockchain technology is a way to facilitate trust. The trustworthiness of what comes out of it, that's still up for debate. To make it simple, we're building an application on which you can store your diplomas and your certificates and your competences within different parties. For example, the Flemish government and the Walloon government are involved uh, and Dutch government as well. But the thing is, you can make for sure and, and show for certain that you got a degree at the KU Leuven or that you got a degree at Trump University. But of course, there is a difference in trustworthiness of these two facts. And how you handle those facts? Well, that's still up in the that's up still for the market. Let's keep it there. Let's keep it at that. There's um, if I could just add one more thing. This trust thing. This uh, quite often it's being said as you know, blockchain is trustless. Um, I might be a fluffy guy, but I think that's a really wrong word to use uh, because this whole principle of oracle and who decides what is true or not is still extremely valid. The validation of the truth or the validation of a start of a chain is really in- intriguing. And what again, what stuck with me was a story that. A few countries are trying to to put land registry on on blockchain. Uh, Honduras, they failed. Georgia, it didn't. It's not going that well. The country that's doing it best at the moment, as far as I can tell, is Sweden. Why? Because they trust the person trying to make it trustless much more. So that's this really weird dichotomy or paradox between: in order to get trustless, we're going to need some kind of trust somehow, and that's just slight head fuck in my mind. In Sweden, they will have a land registry on the blockchain in 2019. That's the aim of their project. And we don't position it as a um, as trust engine like the economists did in 2015. We talk about it as the shared source of truth. You know what is true at a certain point in time, and you can go back and forth, but it's about truth. Who has what? Who did what? And not as much about trust. If you have trust in the truth engine, then you will trust it. If not, you won't trust it. The next book from uh, Dave Birch will be Bitcoin is a religion. If you trust anything, okay, then it's a problem. Also to add perhaps the word that uh, that Jerry used, but an oracle, well, to make it simple, what does it actually mean? If, if I give you a bicycle in the digital, digital world on a blockchain, most likely you would like to receive a real bicycle in the physical world. And the thing is, who's going to decide or what systems or technologies are going to decide to make sure that the digital world is in sync with the real world? One of the, one of these possible solutions for that is IoT, Internet of Things, sensors that will play a role in, um, in, in uh, certifying and measuring whether both are in sync. But of course, a bank is still a trustworthy partner. Governments are tr- still trustworthy in, well, in some countries. <laughs> be trustworthy. All right. Well, thanks a lot, guys. I think it's time uh, for everybody to have a nice drink and have a lot of chats about the future, what we can do with blockchain. One more huge round of applause for these great speakers. And thanks all for coming to Arena. We hope to see you next time. The Service Design Podcast was brought to you by the Service Design Network and Night Moves. For more information, previous episodes, or to join the conversation, please visit servicedesignpodcast.com. For more information about the Service Design Network, visit service-design-network.org. And for Night Moves, visit nightmoves.be. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing to this podcast. The intro and outro music is from If the Stars Grow Dim Tonight, 
by Hydrogen C featuring I Will I Swear. Until next time.